is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, found in page 886 of the Pew Bible. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's so good to be with the people of God today. So good to sing the praises of God with you. Michael Greger, who's a a doctor described his grandmother's uh, turning point when she was turned away in the hospital, from the hospital, sent home basically to die. She had such continuing massive heart problems. They had done all that they could to repair her heart, to try to give access of the blood to her heart and there's nothing else they could do and so they basically sent her home and you know keep keep her comfortable well his grandmother got connected she lived in california she got connected with uh, the pritikin diet okay extreme low-fat vegan diet Whereas she was dismissed from the hospital in a wheelchair, in weeks she was walking. In months she was walking miles and miles. And she came out of the hospital in her mid-60s and died in her mid-90s. That's why when Dr. Greger went to medical school at Cornell... Uh, he was going to be a nutritionist. He was going to use nutrition to save and help people. And he wrote the New York Times best-selling book, uh, How Not to Die. <laughs> Love that title. <laughs> I'm interested in that subject. <laughs> right? It's got a website and all this. But her response to that news, that revelation of there's nothing we can do, you're going to die, meant everything for her future. If she had not made those radical changes, she would not have lived out the year. But she did. And she lived 30 more years. Response to truth is critical. And that's what we're considering this morning. This witness of John, and what's our response to this witness of John? You can see your outline. It's 
the witness of John and the world's response and then our response and then our witness. So we start with this witness of John the Baptist. Now, it's a bit confusing because when you look at the top here, the gospel according to John, and then you get to verse 6, and there was a man who was John. This the same John, John who wrote the book now describing himself. Well, what is this? And he, all he says is John. But John the apostle wrote this gospel, and he's writing about John the Baptist, who was a forerunner of, of Christ. John the Apostle was one of the twelve, uh, wrote this gospel and book of Revelation. Uh, so we're talking about two different Johns here. And when he brings in John's witness like this, after talking about the word that made the world and the light that has been revealed through this word, it comes as a kind of interruption. Some have even thought that it was added later because it just doesn't fit. It could have gone from verse 5 to verse 9. It would be much smoother. Why this seeming parenthesis about uh, John the Baptist? But we think you maybe not, you maybe don't appreciate the literature here, the, the story, what John the Baptist is doing. Why does he include John, what John the Apostle is doing? Why does he include John the Baptist? Because he's underscoring the uniqueness and the importance of this light. He's, he's underscoring the uniqueness and importance of this light, this word that now is shining in the darkness. So he underscores the uniqueness of this light. He makes the point that he was not the light, Right? He came to bear witness. There is one light and one only. Someone even as great as John, whom Jesus said was the greatest of all the prophets, was in no way the light. He's simply a witness to that light, pointing to that light. If people come to a building where a shipment of food has come that they desperately need, you get to the building and the signs point you the way to the food. The signs aren't the food. Pretty simple when you think of it in that way. They tell you where to get the food. John is like those signs, pointing to this unique light that created the world and who alone is the light for every human being in the world. He's the only light for every human being in the world. There is no other. There has been no other. There will be no other light. So the uniqueness is underscored at this point. But then the importance of the light. Now, for just a regular low-end, run-of-the-mill cell phone, there's no advertisement, no witness, if you will. But back in 2007, some of you, I know some of you weren't born then. Yeah, 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 okay. You're young. All right. I was old even then. Um, So this advertisement back in 2007, this is how you turn it on. Files through the CD. This is your music. I'm already, my jaw is just dropping, just looking at what's happening. This is your email. And this is the internet. And this ring is your iPhone. You didn't even know. 
you're talking about a phone? No way. You know, that was my response, you know. Just amazing. You see, that was the witness to the iPhone because of its uniqueness and its importance. They even give you the date that year, July 29, June 29. The importance of this totally new kind of phone demanded this witness. And witness, the word witness is used three times in verses 6 through 8. It's important. Witness, witness, witness. He shows, he puts all the focus on this light, underscoring there's never been anyone or anything like this light that shines into the world. This interests us immediately or should. It's meant to excite our interest. John is saying, John the Apostle, by talking about John the Baptist, don't miss this light. But then, what's the response of the world? And here, in verses 9 through 11, John shows what a terrible, shocking tragedy it is that the world would not know this light. He makes the point, doesn't he? The world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. The world didn't receive him because he was a stranger, but because the world is estranged from its maker. The world is alienated from its own origin, its own originator. Herman Ritterboss wrote, the world should have known him. This is your creator, and he shows up in the flesh. John is writing, really, a horror story here. The world didn't know its maker. This is the resistance of the creature against the creator, the resistance of human beings against their own redemption. How far do we go? What is wrong with us, you see? Here we are resisting our own rescue. Like a ship that comes to a desert island and people have been on that island for months and they're starving and the ship comes, the boat comes to take them away and they run away into the island to die. That's us by nature. But it gets worse in verse 11. He came to his own, it says. Now, let's look at this term, his own. When Jesus is on the cross, this is later in in John 19, uh, in this gospel, in chapter 19, verse 27, he's undergoing the horror of crucifixion. John is standing there, the apostle who writes, and Jesus' mother, Mary. And he says these famous words to John, Behold your mother... And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own house. Same phrase, into his own. That's used here. He came to his own. So in a sense, it's saying he came home. Came to his own home, his own people. But they would not receive him. And think of this, Israel had been adopted 
by God into his household. They were strangers and they were alienated. They'd been brought into his household. They're his own possession. But they would not receive him as a welcomed guest when he came in the person of Christ. That's the point John is making. It's the people of Israel against their own God who has come to them. Their own God who redeemed them from Egypt. Their own God who led them through the Red Sea. Their own God who fed them manna and gave them water in the wilderness. Their own God who brought them into the land of Canaan. He came to them, but they wouldn't receive him. And again, Ritterbaugh says, here the prologue reaches It's low point. It's low point. And think about this. In this first reading of John, as of yet, we really don't even know how this word came to us or this light shown to us. Right? That's not come yet. That comes in verse 14 when we're told the word became flesh. Right? So at this point, please get this, the incarnation itself is in the background and center stage is this unspeakable, disgusting atrocity that stains the history of mankind. John precedes the incarnation itself with this drama of our rejection of the light. He was here. We did not know him. He came and we did not receive him. So we have John's witness of the importance and uniqueness of this light and yet the world's response. They didn't know him. We didn't know him or receive him. Which brings us to number three. What about your response? What about my response? You see, we can't think for a minute, ah, oh, it was those Jews. <laughs> you know how they, how they are. No, remember, first of all, this is a Jew who's writing, right? And talking about a Jew who's Jesus. The Jews, see, simply represent mankind when mankind gets every religious privilege and opportunity imaginable. What do we do? That's what we do. That's what you and I do. The same as Adam. You know, we we sinned in Adam. Don't don't can't separate yourself from Adam. You're a part of Adam, and we can't separate ourselves from the Jews. They're just representative of mankind. This is what we do. Here John is revealing the human heart, your heart, my heart, what we are by nature. Even when we're brought near to God, we human beings abuse that privilege. When God comes to us, we abuse that privilege. Before John describes the incarnation in verse 14, he's already asking, what will you do with the privilege of hearing about Jesus Christ? That's the question before we even get to the actual incarnation in verse 14. Kind of. He, he, he throws the gauntlet down ahead of time. So, 
we're faced with this tragedy, this greatest tragedy that could occur in human history, that any of us would reject this God who goes to such a limit of sending his own son to suffer and die, to rescue us, to do us good. Nothing could be worse. It's like what Jesus says in John 15. They hated me without cause. Oh, did we ever? Do we ever? Jesus said to the people of Israel, it will be better in judgment day for Sodom and Gomorrah, this seat of violence and sexual sin, than for those who've heard and yet reject Christ. So see, the... Christmas message demands a response, and it is life or death, people. We don't think of Christmas as that, but it's presenting life or death. Primarily, of course, it's presenting life, but to reject it is to embrace death. So John begins right here before he really gets going to show how lost we are, just how resistant we are to a relationship with God. And later in chapter 3, Jesus says, you can't even see, much less enter the kingdom of God, unless you're born from above, unless he gives you a new life to see and to enter. You can't on your own. That's how lost you are. Or later in John chapter 6, verse 44, No man can come to me unless the Father draws him. And that word, drawing like fish in a net. None of us can or will come to him. None of us will see the beauty of Christ left to ourselves. John's putting that right up front. He wants to cut our legs out from under us to begin to form helplessness so that we will welcome the full and wonderful salvation that is offered us in Christ Jesus. This is actually part of the good news. It's part of the good news just to show that no matter how helpless you are, You can come and fall before him and trust in him. You don't have to bring anything. You can't bring anything. You just cry out. You just trust him. And so Jesus also says in John 7, If anyone thirsts, anyone, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me. Get that? Whoever in their helplessness trusts in me. Whoever in their understood, as they understand their own weakness and incapacity, falls down and trusts me. From for those people and those people alone, out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water come to the helpless. They don't come to anyone else. They don't come to anyone else but the helpless. There's such a freedom in being helpless in the hands of God. And so John will tell us, God does draw you. 
God is eager and willing to draw us to himself. He greatly desires to give us eyes to see Christ and value Christ and not reject him. He desires to enable us to believe in Christ and for living water to flow from our deepest places. But oh, how we got to have him for any of that. We must have this glorious God. In fact... The positive response to Christ is found right here in the, in the uh, prologue itself in verses 12 and 13, which we did not read. But it speaks of those who do receive him. After saying, well, by and large, you know, he was rejected. But there were those who did believe in him. It may seem negative to start this way, but you see, it can have the opposite effect. As he declares those who believed and those who were born of God and those who who were children of God. Here's another part of the story. And so he's challenging us. Before I go further, before I even describe the incarnation itself, let me warn you that so many did not see. So many did not receive. Some did. What are you going to do? What will you do with this Christ? Will you run with the crowd? Will you stay a part of the world? Will you know him or will you reject him? And in this prologue, uh, the way you might say John's prologue works with the rest of his gospel, it's as though John is saying, okay, the world, even his own people refused him. These were my people, the people I'm a part of. They refused him. But I say, as he will in this gospel, I say he is the Christ, the Son of God. I'm going to lay out his glory through all of his signs and teaching. And I challenge you, I urge you with all of my heart to believe in him. That's why he writes at the end of this gospel. I've written about these, I've written these things about Jesus so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that interesting? That was the whole purpose of this gospel. I've written these things. I've laid out the glory of Jesus so that you will believe in him. But he starts where? So many did not. We're made by him and yet We rejected him. His own people, they were his own. It was his own home. And yet they did not receive him. What will you do? What will you do? And of course, we have to ask all of us, do you know him? Have you received him? Or are you refusing to know him? And, and of course, know him doesn't mean I know some facts about Jesus. It, it implies a relationship to this Jesus. To know him and experience his goodness. To know and experience his salvation, his rescue, his forgiveness. To experience God's favor through Christ. That's to know him. You really can't know God Unless you know his favor. Because that's who he is. That's what he wants to do in your life. To bring you into his favor. To know him is ultimately to be joined to him and to participate in his strong and vigorous and transforming life. 
as we're united to him. To know him means to depend on him and draw from his unlimited resources that we don't have. To rest in him, to be comforted in him, to have hope in him. To know him is to know the one, as he's already said, as Ryan laid out last week, the one who made the world. You you come to know your creator who himself has come. He didn't send someone. I mean, the father sent the son, but the son is God. God came to do this for us. And so by dying for our sin, by taking away our sin, he restores He will restore your standing in relationship with God. He can so restore your conscience so that it can be clean and free before the holy presence of God. What that's like? To look at God's holiness and to know all of your sin and failings. And yet your conscience is free because Jesus has taken away all your sin. And God... His favor is upon you in Christ. And through his death and resurrection, he begins to restore integrity and responsibility and relationships and purity and purpose and hope. Jesus said in John 10, and many of you know this, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That means a life changed and changing, a life different, a life growing and transforming, a life manifesting love more and more boldly and beautifully in more and more ways, a life that more and more conforms to Christ itself. That's the abundant life he came to give. And, And you see, the more you hear of what Christ wants to do for you and how much he suffered to bring it about, It raises the stakes to turn away from this God who comes at you in this way to do this much good for you. And yet, if he hadn't worked in my heart, I would despise him still. I would despise him still as I once did. So it is the Lord Jesus through John the Baptist, through John the Apostle, who's offering himself for you. And to receive him is to begin a a lifetime of submitting to him and to adopt his purposes, to adopt his mission more and more fully in your life, which brings us to our last point, your witness. You see, to receive this light, we heard about John the Baptist's witness and the world's response, and now we're called to respond. But part of our response is also our witness, okay? We kind of come full circle with John the Baptist here, right? So to receive this light necessarily makes you now a witness to that light. There are only two positions in regard to this light. One, you refuse the light. Two, you bear witness to the light. Please understand it. You either refuse the light or you will bear witness to the light. There's no middle ground. 
If you and I refuse to bear witness to the light, we've refused the light altogether. You either stand against the light or you stand up for the light. There's not another position. I receive the light, but I do not and will not bear witness to the light. No, to receive the light is to become a witness bearer to the light. To receive Christ is to become a disciple of Christ. Follower of Christ. Standing with Christ. Bearing witness to Christ. And that's why at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he says to his own disciples, go to the nations and make what? Disciples. They weren't called Christians until later in the book of Acts as the church was spreading. And it was other people that called them Christians. (laughs) They called themselves and knew themselves to be were his disciples. That's what a Christian is. But here... Here again, let's go back to helplessness. We can come to him with all of our fears and misgivings about bearing witness, about befriending unbelievers, about doing things with them, having them in our homes, listening, learning about them, serving them, caring for them, praying for them. And realize it's not really them, they're fellow human beings made in the image of God, you know. It's all us on this earth together. And we get to bear witness of the only light that has ever entered this world. We can begin by asking his forgiveness for being unfaithful and hard-hearted. We can confess our sin of fear and self-protection. We can ask him, continue, change me. Give me the abundant life of loving unbelievers. Brothers and sisters, that's the abundant life. Please hear me. That's the abundant life. An abundant life of loving unbelievers as well as his people. And there's no third safe option at times and perhaps in our society more and more. You and I will be mocked and rejected as Christians have been throughout the centuries and are in so many places in the world. Better than that, better that though, than to refuse to belong to Christ and to refuse to bear witness to Christ. To say as our final answer, as in Jeopardy, I refuse to bear witness for Christ is to say, I refuse to belong to Christ. So, Our response goes all the way from rejecting and refusing the light to championing the light, to manifesting the light, bearing witness to the light. And like Aslan, it's not safe, but it's good. It's not safe, but it is good. Really, really good. Really exciting. Really fulfilling. Really abundant. Really adventurous in the midst of all of our downturns and tragedies and losses, won't you trust the one true light and bear witness to him? Let us pray. Lord, hear our prayer. Hear us in our helplessness, Lord. Draw us after you. Enable us to believe, so believe in your goodness, your forgiveness and your presence and your purpose that we will entrust all of our ways to you 
We'll entrust our futures to you. We'll entrust our whole relationship to this dark world with you. And let the chips fall. But just enter into the abundant life that you call us to. And you will provide, because we are helpless and we will not and cannot do it, that we'll live out the abundant life of loving others. Inside and outside the church. Give us grace, O Lord. Amen.